Hey, podcast world, it's the FNO guys, Rob Beller and Lee Boyd coming to you across the internet airwaves today. That is true, Rob. We are on the internet today. We're on the internet today, and it's great to be here because as we all know, all things that are true are on the internet, and we truly have a interesting and a little bit different episode today, don't we? We do. Uh, we have a we have a very special guest, and today our guest appearance or the person appearing on our show today is the first time that a female has been on our show, and we're very excited about that. We're really happy and excited about that. And just for those people out there who are in the insurance industry, you know that the pool of possible podcast guests is large, but it's mostly male. And so it's it's an honor and a privilege for us to have who we consider to be one of the brightest, well-spoken, thoughtful people in the industry, Jennifer Hevelone. Yeah, I'm very excited to have her on. She is a smart, smart person and, and a strong leader who has been in not only the industry for a long time, but in her position or her company for a very long time. Right. And I've known Jennifer since she was... I don't know, way back is just a trainer, maybe, but has always been very well-spoken and smart. And she's raised up net today. She's the chief operating officer at her company. And that's a big deal, a big job, and totally well-deserved. And she's that good. Yeah, yeah. She's a great person. She has many speaking engagements around the country. And most recently was just at the Elevate Conference for Vera Risk. And uh, hopefully today we can talk to her a little bit about that. Yeah. So we'll talk to her about uh, InsureTech, about using tools and how the new world fits in with the old world, because she's been around for a while and knows the industry well and has a great perspective on it. So without further ado, if it's okay with you, Lee. It's okay with me, Rob. We'll go right into our episode with Jennifer Hevelone, Chief Operating Officer at Eberl Claims. Hey, Podcast World. Here we are on Podcast Friday with an incredibly special guest, a friend, somebody who we've known for a long time, Miss Jennifer Hevelone. Hi, Jen. Hello, Rob. How are you? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. What an honor for both Lee and I to have you, and I mean that because you're a person of some stature in our little, little industry that we work in. Well, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I appreciate the kind words. Back me up here, Lee. Yeah, I would say that is very much true. She is a, a, a big wig in our industry. She is known for speaking at different engagements. And yeah, she is a mover and shaker. And everybody should know because we are kind of friendly with Jen and we've known her for a while. We're probably going to be a little ruthless with her today. Wouldn't you agree, Lee? Perhaps that, that, that may just happen. I don't remember agreeing to that part, but we shall see. Fine print. Read the fine print. You just scrolled to the bottom and clicked accept. Um, I did. You are correct on that one. Okay, so enough of this uh, frivolity. Let's jump into some serious conversation that our audience wants to hear about. So give us kind of a 30-second introduction on, on what you do and what your title is and, and who you work for. So my title, I am the Chief Operating Officer of Eberl Claims Service, and Eberl has a 30-year history of handling claims. We have a, a long history in the catastrophe world, and in the last decade or so, have branched out into daily claims handling. At the heart of it, I'm a claims person. I started in insurance in 91 on the agency side and went into claims in 1996 and found a love and passion for claims handling, particularly in the catastrophe world, climbing roofs. And I served in multiple roles out in the field as an adjuster, field manager, and field trainer and have a passion for the training end of things. So at the heart of it, I'm a claims gal. So you're an adjuster. I am. That's what I probably identify most closely with. So really, it started out on the agency side, working in an agent's office. Is that right, Jen? That is right. I was still a senior in high school, actually. Wow. And so from there, you were able to get out and become an adjuster, actually climbing the roofs. You know, how, how has that experience helped you with climbing up to where you are now? 
you know, I think it's important to one, never forget where you came from. And two, I have pride. I think my leadership style is such that I believe that to truly be effective as a leader, the people that are on my teams that I have that stewardship over, I need to have a a deep understanding of what I'm asking them to do. And I take pride in saying I've never asked a team member to do something that I haven't been willing or able to do myself. Wow. Yeah, you know, that really is great in any leader. And then I would say congratulations to you for being at Eberl's for as long as you have, because in our industry, a lot of times people hop to different locations. But wow, it's really impressive you have been there that long. Thank you. It'll be 21 years this June. And you're only 22 years old. I know it's a miracle. (laughs) How did that happen? This is, first of all, Lee, this is a first, as you know, for our little podcast in that Jen, you are the first woman guest that we've had on the show. That does not surprise me. <laughs> and I want to talk about that for a minute because this is something that obviously as a woman in insurance and claims, you're very familiar with. And that is, is that it's not common to have women in leadership roles. And I'm wondering how you think you got there and what's it like to be a woman in a male dominated business and in a leadership role? Sure. So how I got here, I think many situations I had to work a little harder, dig a little deeper. There was certainly an element of needing to prove myself. I, you know, it, I was 22 when I worked my first catastrophe. So not only was I a woman and young, as an independent adjuster, they're definitely, most of the independents didn't look like me. And um, arriving on client staff sites, people would either one, assume that I was a staff person or assume that I was in an administrative function. And so there was a little bit more of a watchful eye on the quality of claims. There was the assumptions that, you know, it's funny, years ago, I started taking photos from the ridge of the roof to show my shoes in the photos to prove that I actually climbed the roof because I would frequently get questioned as to whether or not I was the one that actually made the inspection. And, you know, it become commonplace that I just understood that if I wanted to be in this space and play in this space that I had to dig a little deeper. And in some ways it frustrates me. In some ways it become something that I accept. But, you know, one thing that I know as a leader now, I'm able to create a better business for the daughters, for the young women that are interested in an amazing career field that will be coming through the ranks. And I hope that I'll be able to inspire them. And I hope that I'll be able to break some of the the moles and assumptions that people have around females in our industry. Are you seeing changes today? Um, slowly, not as prevalent as I would like. Um, you know, I still see assumptions around my fellow female peers and adjusters that are in the field or assumptions around or preconceived notions around their abilities to do the physical part of the job. Can they carry their own ladder? Can they climb the roofs? Assumptions around, hey, this, you know, she may be better fit for an in-office adjuster. It's definitely a lot more diverse of a population now than what it was when I started. And I continue to champion that. I take that kind of personally to champion that to make sure that we we have qualified women and we're investing in that talent because it's important that we do so. We serve a diverse demographic of policyholders and there's a lot of value and contributions that women make to our industry and it's getting there. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've used it as a fuel, if you will, to ascend to where you are today. It has. It, it's been. It, it, it has been a, a driving force, and it's it's shaped. It you know it's funny. It's it's shaped a lot of aspects of my life, even from how I raised my son and the values that I want him to have when he thinks about diversity and inclusion and equality. So, do you think that there's more opportunity today for women in our industry? You know, it's that's a good one. Do I think that there's more opportunity? I would say yes, but I still. I still don't see as much balance as I would like, and I still see the opportunity being a bit imbalanced in the lack of women in leadership roles and in the field roles. You know, one of the reasons that we were giving you a hard time at the top about, you know, you're a big shot has to do with exact and exact where. And I've been to the exact where conference many times. Lee's been maybe to almost all of them, and you're always on the docket. Why is that? <laughs> 
Um, they, they can't find other people. No, I, I, you know, it's funny. I have a passion, absolute passion for Xactverse products. I started using my first estimate written in Xactimate was in 1996 on the DOS version. And I just took the tools very seriously. And I decided that I could set myself apart from my competitors by learning this tool intimately and making sure that I could use it a little bit better, a little more efficiently. And it just become kind of my mission. And I believe in it. I believe in what the software applications have done. I've seen how it's changed our industry. In many ways, I don't think it's an overstatement to say that it's revolutionized our industry. So I made a commitment to having it as a focal point and making it work for me. Well, you know, you bring up a lot of really good points there about Xactimate and Xactware. And this year at the conference, we were able to hear about where they're going next. I assume you were a part of the keynote in the audience. Is that right? You were correct. So what was your thought on the direction where they're going and some of the new innovation and new innovative ideas that they have? You know, conceptually, what they were speaking of, I think that resonated with me most is the notion of the right touch claim, getting the claim down to the right path. And so, you know, there was discussions and there has been for several years around no touch claims, meaning it's automatically going to come in and be paid. Low touch claims, are we phone handling it? And then high touch, a traditional adjustment path. And I enjoyed seeing more of the focal on the right touch. Because I think all three of those, no touch, low touch, high touch, have a very important role in our space and thinking about how we serve as policyholders in their, you know, in their times of loss. And so that resonated with me of about a focus around the right touch. And I think that that's terribly critical when we think about leaders in this industry on how do we service with the right touch as opposed to chasing shiny objects and gadgets when we start talking about technology. How would you define right touch? I mean, give our audience a, an idea of what maybe what they mean and how you take that. Sure. So, you, you know, when you're thinking about right touch, it's funny because I think that we have the tendency to want to define that as maybe the quickest, most efficient way. And speed and efficiency certainly has an impact on it. But I also think that I really think about right touch means what was the customer's experience? And did we give the right human interaction, the right attention to that customer to meet their need and their experience? And I really think that our customers should be the ones that are defining the right touch as opposed to insurance companies or carriers or vendors such as ourselves. Right. I think that that's a great insight is right touch is in the eyes of the insured. Correct. And it's... Of course, every carrier wants to determine that <laughs> based on a number, whatever factors they're measuring. But uh, I think that's a great insight, right? Right touch is up to the customer to determine what that is. And it really depends on that customer circumstance at that time. Years and years ago, I had a manager who told me, you know, gave me customer service advice. And he says, you know, when you're talking to someone, you have zero idea what dynamics are going on in their life. You have no idea what happened to them the five minutes before you called them or spoke to them. You don't know if they have an illness, financial devastation, if they've lost a loved one. You have no idea what may be going on in their life. So seemingly a very minor simple claim could be having a, a large impact on their lives because of the dynamics. And I really think that that speaks to what the right touch is. A right touch for me on a light claim in my normal time may mean phone scoping it. A right touch to me when I've had, when I have something else going on, a stressful time at my work or an illness in my family, maybe that means someone holding my hand a bit more. So how is it carrier supposed to determine that without doing a personality test <laughs> as, as they go. Do you have an idea on that? you have a practical idea? I have ideas. I don't know if I can put the label that they're practical. So I think that when we're thinking about how we utilize technology, I think that it's important that we leverage technology to enable 
our person-to-person contact, to enable that human touch as opposed to eliminate it. And I think oftentimes um, I see it with adjusters. There's a certain, almost a fear of technology or a fear of what it means to our jobs and to the future of our industries. But I think the technology piece enables that. It doesn't eliminate that. And there are several, obviously, there's artificial intelligence, and there's a laundry list of check-the-box type items that will help us understand how we believe what path this claim should be guided into, cause of loss, potential dollar amounts, deductible amounts, things of that nature. But really, I, I don't know another way other than a solid quality first contact with that policyholder at the time of loss. And that really speaks to the FNOL processes. Do we have a way to engage with that policyholder in the appropriate way? And in that part too, and an FNOL is going to help you understand what that policyholder's preference are. If I have a preference to get on an, an app and submit my claim, call my agent, call an 800 number, I think the pipeline that the policyholder chose to report their claim is a good indicator of the method of contact that they may prefer. And then taking time to have a dialogue around that, even though that may seem a little antiquated, but I think that that helps set the tone. Yeah, you know, this whole discussion here really makes me think about customer service equals the right touch a lot of times. Enabling the adjuster or the person who is speaking or dealing with the injured to be able to meet them where they're at and to be able to give them the right touch as I put in quotes. But, you know, that's really what it's about. It's how can we meet their needs when they want us and how they want us to do it. And, and you know, just like we're talking about here with Exact, And then, of course, there are many other tools out there as well. But using all of those tools when they're needed, not forcing a tool down a person's throat or even down a carrier's throat, but saying, this is what this scenario needs and this is what this scenario and that's how I see it. And I think that's what, what you're saying there. It's so true. It's really like we can go back to our basics. I said I was a claims person who loved to climb roofs. I'm not going to get my two-story ladder off of my truck to climb a one-story 412 walk-up. But, you know, so it's getting the right tool for the job. And then that speaks to the right touch. And again, it, it's listening to the voice of the customer. For them to, you have to listen to that to determine what their needs are. There's a large, it's a pitfall to say, we're going to tell you what your needs are. No one wants to be told that. No one, you know, when you're thinking about automated phone systems, anything simple, text messaging, all those different forms of communication, no one wants to be told how they like to be communicated. You want to choose that path. And I think you set yourself apart as a service provider by having an avenue to allow people to choose those paths and meet those needs. Yeah, I I agree. You know, you've been in the business for quite some time, over 20 years. What do you think has really changed the way that we're able to meet the customer's needs? Is there a technology or a process that's been introduced that has allowed that? Oh, that's a good one. Um, You know, it's really funny even thinking about just something as simple as estimating software platforms and pricing methodology, thinking about contents inventories, just in and of itself is is largely impactful. I was thinking the other day, it, it's funny with some of the advancements of technology, the unsung heroes are oftentimes the most impactful for adjusters who are doing the work. And I use an example of the installation process improvement from X, the version X1 for Xactimate versus prior versions. There's nothing sexy or interesting about saying we've improved the installation process, but that's a deal breaker for us if we can't, in a large catastrophe, if we can't get the software application installed on someone's machine. So I know that I don't think that I really answered your question as far as I think probably single-handedly the biggest change that has been implemented consistently is the ability to connect and collaborate more through platforms such as exact analysis where you can see more real time what's going on in a claim and having that connection and accountability in place to ensure that we're moving the claim forward and holding ourselves accountable to delivering what the customer deserves in a speedy accurate resolution you bring up shiny toys i detect a little bit of sarcasm in that. Let's talk about InsureTech. Sure. I sense you have some opinions about InsureTech. I I have opinions on many things in life. <laughs> so, Don't I know. 
I do have opinions on insure tech. I think that it's important that regardless of what role I play, whether I'm an independent adjuster or responsible for operations for a, a large company, I think it's important that you define your technology roadmap and you should have when I think about the proper implementation of technology, it's people process technology. So it starts with your talent. It starts with your human capital and people. They're going to be the people that make a difference. Right touch, low touch, high touch, no touch. It starts with your people. People and then giving them processes, processes that make sense, processes that you can replicate, are easy to understand, are efficiency, and then technology supports that. Technology supports your process and your people. And I think oftentimes people will start with the technology and try to build processes and push their people into that. And that's where you lose your end users. That's where you you lose your champions of technology. And building out a thoughtful roadmap and being strategic about what makes sense and what actually enables your business and enables your people to provide that better experience as opposed to, hey, we saw this at a conference. It's all the rage. We're bringing it in and you need to figure out how to make it work and how to build a better mousetrap with it. You know, you're the second guest on the podcast to actually say those three things, people, process, technology in that order, saying that people uh, do make the number one. And in a technology-driven world, even with Xactimate coming out with new processes, new tools, uh, like claims experience or, or using inspection manager, different things like that, how do you make sure that your people get on board when they have to? There are times they have to get on board. How do you introduce your people and, and make them successful? So when I'm looking for my technology champions, I don't look to my most successful human capital. The most successful, we'll use an adjuster, for example. If I have an adjuster who is highly producing and highly effective in our current state, he or she is not going to be the one that benefits most from the technology change. Look for your individuals that you know are made of good stuff. You know that they're giving it 100%, but they're still having struggles. That's where you put your tools in and you work with them and let your people talk to you about their pain points and challenges and then look at how the technology can help alleviate that. And if you show them a path that it's going to make their lives a bit better, it's going to make their jobs a bit more fulfilling, it's going to engage them on a completely different level other than saying, hey, you got to do this no matter what. And ultimately, not everyone can ride the change wave. But I think when you're looking at that, taking time to understand where the current pain points are, taking time to understand what's not broke. You know, and then understanding how you can champion the technology to show the people that they can preserve what they believe in. Maybe that's spending the time that they need to to explain a settlement to insurance or whatever that looks and feels like for that individual. Showing how you're going to, to for all intents and purposes, maintain the core value of what they find important, but enhance the other activities that goes a long way in, in having them become your change champions. I'm curious, uh, you've been a trainer and involved in training and run training for a long time. And I know you have a real passion for that. And I have a couple questions for you on this regard. And I want to keep it relative to InsureTech. And that is, what have you learned about people and about implementing change from your work as a trainer and a designer of training programs? I mean, you work for a company that literally deploys hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people at a time. So I'm, there's probably great variation within those groups. And what have you learned from being a trainer? You know, I think know your audience and understand that even though your audience may be, you say, okay, your audience are adjusters. Well, within that, everyone has a, a little different contributions and skill sets. So do I have people that were that have been adjusters for 10 years? Do I have someone that's brand new to the industry? Do I have someone that has a construction background? Knowing your audience and understanding how to connect with them, the most, very most important thing about that is within a very short period of time, you have to connect with someone to make them realize that you have some value to offer them. You're going to be out of this eight-hour training. They're going to walk away with at least one thing, one item that's going to make their jobs a bit better, their life a little bit easier, their ability to perform just slightly better. 
And if you can connect with them on that, that way you're 80% past the battle. So how do you start bringing in tools, new, shiny, (laughs) shiny toys? Uh, You know, it's really kind of going back to your roots of saying I'm a claims person at heart and looking at that new shiny object and saying this resonates with me. This speaks to me because it will make a difference in this practical application. And you you know, bringing technology into your industry for your people, you have to be able to tie that back to practical application to them. And they have to understand what difference it it's going to make for them. And then you also have to remove the threats. Change can be threatening. And then layering on change plus technology that some can view as a potential to lessen or eliminate their jobs is very threatening. And without that comfort, without that stability to say this is what we're going to do with it, you're not going to be able to get over that hump. We've seen that at our own place of work, that particularly people who've been in the industry for a while and and know what they're doing and have a very set way of doing things. Obviously, people that are new and are coming in, this is what they're learning as they go. And so it's normal. But for people who've been in the industry for a long time, it might feel very disruptive and very threatening. And that buy-in, though, getting the buy-in of those people is a big deal because if they don't buy in, they can actually fight it, right, and work against it, even not doing it consciously or maliciously, just maybe not embracing it. How do you get through that? You know, you have, it's really funny when I think about kind of that your your change scale, you're going to have your change champions, the ones who love it. You're going to have the ones in the middle of the road that understand and accept it. And then you're going to have your resistors. You have to identify your resistors and take the time to listen to them. Take the time to understand their concerns and then allow them the opportunity to contribute ideas and address their concerns and try to find one thing that you can connect or resonate with them on. And then you turn them into your champions if you can connect on that level. And it's not easy and it's not always going to be 100% because ultimately it's up to that individual on that. But I really think acknowledgement, I mean, truly having empathy, not, hey, I know you're upset about this or I understand, but truly to say, talk to me. You know, I, I know I, I recognize that this is a significant shift and also recognize that it's having an impact on you. So let's visit about this and see what we can do and listening. And, and you know, it's really funny. It goes back to what we were talking about, the human touch, you know, that human connection. And it really, it goes back to your customer experience. We talked about that policyholders really are the ones that are going to define the right touch. Your employees, the people that report to you as you're implementing technology, they're going to really kind of help define the right touch for them on how you roll out and implement and and get their buy into it as well. You know, Rob brings up a point and so do you about our aging demographic of our adjusters and our workforce. We have those who are jumping on board on the technology train. We have those who are ending their careers and they're finishing out and saying, okay, I'm done. What is your your feeling on starting fresh with new adjusters? Because our industry is bringing in new people all the time. We're trying to find new ones. How do y'all or you, right, train up and get these new adjusters ready and prepared in this new technology-enabled adjusting world? Well, well, I am a, a huge advocate for bringing talent into our industry. And it's been a mission of mine since 2004. I implemented an early iteration of mentor training programs, and it is a passion of mine. And one of my greatest fulfillments in my career is to see someone that I trained or that I helped on their first assignment or to get a call from someone and say, I remember working with you. So it's I believe in that. I believe in that more than anything. Um, the other thing that I know, too, is that having someone, it, it's interesting when you're thinking about new talent and growing talent organically. The change, the leaps and the shifts are not as broad for them. They didn't know how we used to do it. So it's not as difficult for them to accept a different way because it really isn't a different way for them. Yeah, you know, I agree with you 100%. Sometimes it is more difficult to get people up to speed because 
they've always done it one way, but using new people and educating them the first time around has always been pretty positive for us. And don't you feel, though, Jen, that the tide is turning? I mean, these changes and these new tools are coming faster and deeper across all the different functions of insurance, not just claims, but underwriting policy administration, you name it. I mean, don't you think that the future looks quite different? I believe the future does look quite different. Um, It really, you know, I think for some of the old hats like ourselves around, we've seen more change in the last five years than I have collectively the prior 20 years before that. And I think that that rapidly changing landscape is only going to get more drastic in the next couple of years because largely in part in response to changing policyholder demands. I mean, I think about back to my, you know, my first hailstorm that I worked in 96, we had an inventory of 100 paper files and we were literally calling people and saying we would get to them in three or four weeks. And that just, you know, and at that point, even back in the days in the agency side, if they got frustrated with their insurance company and they wanted to change policies, it wasn't easy to do. They were going to have to take off of work. They were going to drive across town to an agent's office, get a print out of their policies. And now if I get frustrated at my insurance company, I open up my phone and I push a button and I change policies. So just just all of that in, in response to, and I think it's important that service providers and adjusters understand that the, the response and the changing market is the demand of the customers. And we have to respond to that demand and we have to accelerate change oftentimes past our comfort levels in order to stay relevant. I think that's a great point. I'm always interested in people like yourself who have so much background and knowledge historically in our industry when it comes to buying and selling of InsureTech. And of course, on the service provider side, we might be buying a little less of it than the carriers because the carriers, is, as we know, are going to dictate certainly our estimating platform, but probably as other tools we're going to use as well. When you consider yourself as a buyer of InsureTech, what can you say to those people in our audience who are selling it? What kind of advice do you have for them of how do you effectively translate your new technology, to quote somebody, their shiny toy, into something that's effective for me? What advice do you have for them? Well, the first response I'm going to get is a bit biased to the industry that you and I come from, and that would be don't forget your independent adjusting firms and partners. I have a degree of frustration sometimes where oftentimes the technology seems very focused and driven to servicing the needs of the carrier with little understanding or acknowledgement of the fact that service providers such as ourselves are actually oftentimes the one out boots on the ground implementing and utilizing that. So I think, you know, I, th- I guess a, that's a fancy way of saying, know who your customers actually are. And even if the carrier may be signing the contract, oftentimes the independent adjusters are their true customers. They're using the product. Right. We've talked to a couple insurtechs, I'm thinking Randy Griffith Planner, who that's part of their big part of their marketing plan is to Uh, market and sell to independent adjusters because of just what you're saying. We're the users, right? It's important when they're beta testing new products and all of those things to engage those end users. And those are going to be the champions of the products. And then I think that the other, probably the most key thing that I would say from InsureTech is have someone on your team or someone within your ranks that's understanding the practical application and also the landscape in which the product is going to be utilized. You know, our adjusters that are boots on the ground utilizing this technology, they're not sitting in an air-conditioned office on a high-speed Ethernet line on this bandwidth. So, you know, thinking about testing out your products to make sure that they perform well in the field and that they perform under the conditions in which our resources work and not in perfect environments. And understanding the practical application of it as opposed to the shiny object. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. You know, that's one of the big things that I do is research the technologies, test them out, and then roll them out. And early on, you know, I would say I was guilty of saying, hey, this is working great while I'm sitting in my office on my high-speed internet. There's no issues. Uh, And then whenever you roll it out, you think, wow, what about, you know, 
What about the adjuster who's going to be off-site and not able to connect to the internet? There's so many things that you have to think about whenever you're doing that. So that, you know, that's a very good point. Because, you know, that's a lot of times what we do, right? We say, hey, here you go. But having that person who can be thoughtful in what they're doing and how they're going to use the software, that allows you to bring a connection from the intratech company to the actual you know, person who's going to be purchasing it to the person who's going to be using it. That has to be a seamless bridge. Well, and one other thing that, that I think about when we're thinking about InsureTech that has to be front and center of, of everyone's mind is data security. And, you know, the information that we have accessible and how we protect that information. And we have to be responsible stewards of that. And, you know, that's always front and center, too. When I see something that I was, you know, thinking, wow, this is going to be amazing. Let's roll this out. And then you start thinking about what does this mean as far as data protection and you know, what type of devices are this, you know, is this going to be downloaded on and how do we protect the integrity of that sensitive information? Right. Yeah. I think that's always got to be on our thoughts and, you know, listening to Mike Fulton at exact where even, you know, that's the number one thing, you know, he's willing to test new technologies and partner with new technologies and, and integrate with them as long as their data is secure and everybody meets the same standards. So yeah, anytime we deal with technology, anytime we deal with new anything, we have to think about that. This day and age, that is the number one concern that all of us have. What did you think about Mike's presentation about opening up exact, allowing integrations? Uh, First of all, I thought it was interesting when he said that they have many integrations already, but that they're going to be more open. What did you think about that? It was music to my ears because what that allows us to do is further brings it into where we are able to take a tool to fit into our business instead of fitting our business to a tool. I agree a hundred percent there because sometimes there's tools out there that we need to use that we're unable to use. And this is hopefully going to open that door. So let's talk about 2024 for a second, five years down the road. I'll be 30. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I I thought thought it was 28, but I think that kind of transparency is appreciated by our audience. Very much so. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) So as a young woman in the industry today, in 2024, what do you think you're going to see in 2024? What are you planning for? What are you thinking about? Where's it going to be? You'll still be working. What's happening in 2024? Let's see. I like your confidence that I was still going to be working. So that means you don't believe I'll win the lottery. So I will still be working. (laughs) What will 2024 look like for us? I think that, you know, a couple of things. I I believe that to a degree in our industry, we're experiencing a little bit of the chicken little, the sky is falling. That we're going to say, you know, what are we going to do? Where are all these claims going to go? I believe that there will be an element of our work that still looks very much the same today, but I think that we will be able to provide better, more fulfilling opportunities for the adjusters to get that work done. So I fully believe there'll still be the pipeline of the full adjustment as we see it now, but I think that we will be able to provide more meaningful tools and connections with the field adjusters to make their jobs easier. I think that we will be able to leverage technology to do a better job of handling some of the current claims that are in the low-touch model. You know, no-touch is is a different story, and we'll just set that aside for now. But low-touch model claims handling is not anything new. The label is somewhat new. But you can go back to Hurricane Katrina and and even, you know, a year or two before that when really low-touch claims were introduced in phone scopes and things like that. So I believe what we'll see by 2024 is a lot better process of how we get those low-touch claims handled and also a more efficient way. At the time of the loss, it was identified as a low-touch claim, and then we see that that's not really the right touch for that. I think we'll get better at getting into the right pipes quicker. I think we've all been on the other end of a handling a claim that we've gotten that went into the wrong channel and now has become stale and becomes a problem for us. I think we'll see that we're better at that. I think we're going to see better connectivity 
from centralized locations to the field, to the field, not only the adjusters, but to our repair partners, the people that are doing the work and to the policyholders. And I think that just more cohesiveness in these times of need. And I think ultimately what that's going to do is serve for a better customer experience in that they're put at ease. The unknown is very difficult for any of us to deal with and being able to work in a collaborative, transparent environment and get the work done in that manner. I think that that puts everyone at ease, the policyholder, the contractors, the carriers and the adjusters. So I feel it's going to be much more cohesive. So the landscape is going to look and feel different. I think some of the work that we're doing is going to be similar. If not, I don't want to use the word same. I think that that's a little too strong. I think it's going to be similar, but I think the way in which we're getting that work done is going to be much more engaging and transparent. I really liked what you had to say. This kind of ties to also to what's something you were saying earlier that, you know, what happens with the claim up front, identifying the right touch. I think a lot of carriers maybe take FNOL for granted, but though I think a lot of carriers are getting far more sensitive about what you can drive out of FNOL today with good information, right? And how that good information there impacts the whole rest of the way that the claim is work, which of course then impacts not just customer satisfaction, but expense, right? And so I really liked what you had to say. And like I said, this ties in with establishing the right path early and accurately, and that will cascade down throughout the rest of it. And being dynamic enough to shift quickly to get it when it's determined that it needs to, or if a shift is needed, that the claims pipes are dynamic enough that you can make that shift quickly. I was listening to you there about 2024, and I was thinking about to some of our other guests, and I'm really thinking that the guests are about 50-50 on, you know, things are going to be a lot like they are now. They're going to be a little different, but a lot like they are now, where other guests say it's going to be completely different. It's a whole new world, technology and everything. And it brings me to a point of uh, inspection-only assignments, You know, we see companies that are dabbling with it and saying, I just need somebody to go look at it and send me back the data where other companies are just trying to jump in with two feet. My question to you is, what is your thought on that? Is that a trend or is that the way the future is going? So I think the inspection only is going to be very dependent upon level setting with what the scope of the job is. And in talking with adjusters, you know, there's certainly a fear around the inspection only model and what that means for them. And I think a lot of it comes from the mistrust of you say you only want an inspection, but then what you really want are all these other things. So I think that The inspection only will work as long as you have guardrails, so to speak, to say this is what we need from that inspection. And the field inspector can trust that process and there's no miscommunication. You know, if I tell you, hey, Lee, go do an exterior inspection, that's a pretty broad inspection request. If I tell you, Lee, I want you to go look at all four elevations of the home, take these eight pictures, secure these six measurements, and validate this piece of information. Quite a bit different. So I think the success of the inspector model will be contingent upon the people doing the work, trusting that this is kind of a one and done, if you will. I'm fine with going and doing an inspection if that's truly it and I'm done. But, you know, I think that we have to make sure that the process is in place is that that is a one and done and that there's not repeated requests or confusion. I think the also the success of that on giving a carrier what they need on that inspection and whether or not they're able to conclude estimates and make decisions are going to be dependent upon how they request information, and it has to be with specificity. So one of the bad things about being friends of ours is that you have to come back and be on our podcast again. I would love to. <laughs> I mean, it's a consequence, Life is filled with them, and this is one of them. It would be my honor. It's a pleasure, and I would love to visit with you all anytime you're willing to have me. Well, I was thinking she may be a great guest to help us introduce next year's Exact Work Conference to give us a little insight into why people need to go and uh, whatever session that she will be speaking at. Ah, what do you think about that? <laughs> 
I would love to. It's a great event and always have a lot of fun there. And I would love to do that for sure. Great idea. Great idea. And again, I don't honestly want this, and no kidding around this to pass, that we really appreciate you being the first female guest that we've had. That's a big deal for us. And we were thrilled to have you. And, and we think we think you did great. What do you think, Lee? How do you think she did? Very good. I thought it was just wonderful. You're not just being nice, are you? No, I'm not a nice person. Lee's a nice person, so I suspect he is probably just being nice. Hey, what do you mean Lee's a nice person? I specified Lee. I, I was mentioning okay. earlier with guardrails and specificity, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, without further guardrails, we're going to end this episode. And thanks so much, Jen, for being with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all so much for having me. Thank you. Another really solid, really interesting episode on FNO and SureTech. Don't you agree? I do. I thought that was great conversation. I like it whenever we can visit and, you know, move it along smoothly like that. Yeah. It's nice to have somebody on who is a friend, right? Right. And we've known Jen for a long time. And I don't think she disappointed at all as, as showing why we had her on. And that is she's really thoughtful and really smart and really experienced and knows how to merge all those things together. Right. And Jen is in our industry. I mean, we do a lot of the same things and we talk the same language. So uh, we deal with insured tech a lot of the same way. Uh, we work with carriers a lot of the same way. So it was good to get another opinion and another viewpoint mm -hmm. from where, where we sit. And I think we disagree with her a little bit about the pace at which change is going to happen. I think I think that we and her agree that change is happening and change will happen and it's here and it's coming and it's going to change more. But I think that we have some disagreement about how far that's going to go. Yeah. And just as I said, we've had guests on and we've said our opinions before. Everyone agrees it's going to change. Everyone agrees that the future looks different. It's just people don't always agree on the speed in which that's going to happen. And, you know, she does not disagree that it is going to happen and she's preparing for that move. It's just that, you know, her view, which she's been in the business for a long time, she has a very deep view into it, is that it's not going to happen as quickly as it may. And they're a great company with a good reputation. Right. And they work with great customers. And so she has a great view of the industry. I mean, this is somebody who works for a top independent adjusting company. So she has a good view of how things are progressing and what's happening out there. And so she speaks with authority. She does. And, and she's, you know, she's privy to a lot of good conversations with carriers and technology companies and people even like Xactimate. Exactly. Uh, where she's able to build her opinion of where the industry is going. Mm -hmm. I loved what she had to say about people process technology. Oh, her her viewpoint on people being number one is, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the most important things that she believes. Yeah. And it's obvious whenever she's talking that everything she talked about revolved around people and training people and educating people and getting people to buy into the processes. It's all about the people. Right. I thought that was so refreshing. And she has this way that when she says it, you just know that she 100% means it. Uh, absolutely. You just buy in and believe it because it is true. Uh -huh. I also liked her insight about determining the right path for a claim early on and then pursuing it instead of, you know, kind of figuring it out as you work your way through the claim. What's the right touch? Is The right touch is dependent on the insured. Sure. You know, once again, people, right? The right touch is dependent upon the person that you're working with, not necessarily the peril or the location or the size of the claim, mm -hmm. but it's actually the people that you're working with. And the point in time that you're working with the person, like I thought it was a great point. Maybe you're having a good day. Maybe you're having a bad day or a, a good time in your life or a bad time in your life. And that's going to dictate the same person, same claim might choose two different paths at two different times. Right, right. And, you know, then she talks about using the technologies that are out there to, you know, meet the need of the customer. So whichever path it may be, we need to be prepared for it. What did you think about her advice to uh, InsureTech and InsureTech companies? 
I thought that was great. And it really, we've dealt with quite a few early on, you know, whenever we, we were shown products and said, hey, this is what you may be using. However, I'm going straight to the carrier. And it's interesting because the carrier, it wasn't necessarily the carrier's product. It was an independent adjuster product. But they have to think about their ultimate customer at the end. So you have to think larger than just the single thought of insurance equals carrier. There's lots of customers and you need to be able to hit all of them. You know, I'm going to say this and I mean this in the very best way, but I've seen this in our own company in that we've embraced a technology and insure tech tool thinking that this is going to be part of our future and it's not. Right. It didn't work out that way. It hasn't happened, but a major embrace up front only to have it dwindle and peter out because once it got into practice, it just wasn't everything that we thought it was going to be. Yes. I mean, that's something that you've been intimate with. Sure. Sure. There's those times that we do our due diligence and try to verify that we're accurate in our thinking and this is the right product or the right process from the company that we're going to be using to determine once it gets out in the field it's not necessarily the fit. And there's no, you know, there's really no way to overcome that necessarily. You think you've done everything that you can, but she's right whenever she talks about how you have to think way down the road. How will this affect the person who's actually going to be using that, not the person who's just sitting behind the desk with high-speed internet? Right, right. Well said. Well, that was a pleasure. It's a pleasure anytime we get to spend time with Jen. I agree. And like we said, we want to have her back again. And now it's time for a word from our sponsor, our producer, Anthony Suter. Go. Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of FNO InsureTech. One of the best ways to support the show is to go to the podcast player that you're uh, listening to this on right now and uh, give us a review and rating, give us some feedback. Also, we'd love for you to share this with uh, you know other people that you believe would be interested in some of these great interviews. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Podcast FNO. And uh, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash FNO InsureTech. Yeah, we had an outstanding month in February. We're recording this around the 1st of March. We had a great month and we're excited to be part of your drive time or part of your workout time or whenever it is that you listen to a podcast. We're very grateful that you give us some of your attention and hopefully we are helping you. We'd love to hear from you. So please reach out to us. And that's it, Lee. Well, bye, everybody. Have a good week. Bye now.